years and got here just in the nick of time. What does that make us? Big damn heroes, sir. Ain't we just? Welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM, the film and TV radio show where a handful of film enthusiasts shoot the breeze about all things film and television. I'm Marcus Iaco, and I'm very excited to announce that the Paris International Film Festival 2022 has begun! Yay! Yep, it's producer Dave here, and I'm very, very pleased as well. I cannot wait to dive into some of those films. Yeah, so the, the film festival, the Paris International Film Festival started on the 10th of February, which was Thursday, uh, and it's going to be running until the 20th of February. Go onto the website, go and check out all of the wonderful filmmakers we've been interviewing, tons of them. And in fact, it's such a jam-packed episode. We've got a few more in this episode, so I'm going to stop rabbiting on about random stuff, and I'm just going to jump straight into film and TV news. Oh, just before we jump into film and TV news, at Resonance, Resonance 104.4, we're having a fundraiser. It's going until the 14th of February. And as it's our annual fundraiser, I'm asking you to help us reach our £10,000 target. We urgently need funds to bring our amazing broadcast to you, our listeners. If you like what you hear on our show, please do support us. Make a donation of any amount at fundraiser.resonance.fm. Thanks. Alternatively, if you don't want to just donate money and you like to buy things on Amazon, why not use the link smile.amazon.co.uk instead and select London Musicians Collective as your preferred charity. And what will happen is they'll receive 0.5% of the value of your purchases at no extra cost to you. So do that and you do that. If you don't want to donate directly, just use that one. If you're going to buy something on Amazon, go to smile.amazon.co.uk and select London Musicians Collective as your preferred charity. Okay, okay. Let's carry on with the show. Oh, just before we jump into the filmmakers, I want to give a shout out to two friends of the show, Mark A.C. Brown, a film writer, film director, as well as Mike Shepard, who's a writer and a director, who uh, they're both doing readings of their work at the Unrestricted View. It's Unrestricted View presents a series of work in progress readings from award-winning writers of stage, screen, and radio. It's called Hot Properties. It's running from February 15th to the 19th at 7.30 p.m., at the Hen and Chickens Theatre in London. It's 109 St. Paul's Road, 
London, Hen and Chickens Theatre. Go check out the reading of Mark A.C. Brown's reading of work going from the 15th to the 16th of February. Then Mike Shepard's is on February the 17th. You have Andrew Allen running from the 17th. You have Tom Collinson on the 18th and Candy Roman running on the 19th. So that's Hot Properties at Hen and Chicken Theatre, 109 St. Paul's Road, running from the 15th to the 19th at 7.30 p.m. Anyway, I'll stop, I'll, stop, I'll, stop, I'll stop talking. I'll stop talking. Let's talk about the filmmaker. Yeah, let's get to that. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And before I introduce our guests uh, for this segment, there's the blurb uh, from IMDb for the film that they have in the Paris International Film Festival. To right the wrongs of his all-American sex education, a 36-year-old goes on a quest to uncover naked truths and hard facts, no matter how awkward it gets. Uh, I'd like you to introduce yourselves and please tell us what a sexplanation is all about. Let's start with you, Alex. Okay, so I, I am the 36-year-old, now 37-year-old in that, in that introduction. I'm Alex. I'm a science and health reporter uh, who, frankly, was kind of just fed up with the state of sex education in the United States and decided to see if I could find out for myself uh, and figure out how to deal with, with all the questions, shames, uh, fear around sex, and, and, and the result is this movie. Excellent. And uh, your writer, your co-writer as well, Leonardo, please introduce yourself. <laughs> um, my name is Leonari. I am the co-writer <laughs> and producer. Yeah. Uh, Leo Neri, Leonardo Neri. Uh, you prefer Leo to Leonardo? Yeah, Leo's fine. Yeah, thanks. Okay. Excellent. Okay, so uh, this is, I'll, I'll, be, I'll be perfectly honest and perfectly candid. Uh, when I was going through the list and sorting out all the in- interviews, uh, for the show, this was the one that I wanted to interview the most. This is the one oh. I wanted to put in, and I wanted like, you know what? I, I, from the name of the title of the film, a sexplanation. Straight away, I was like, I'm intrigued. Um, <laughs> it's like it's like the line from uh, from Django Unchained. It's like uh, you, you, you uh, what was the Leonardo DiCaprio line? I'm I'm gonna mess it up. Uh, uh, you you had my intrigue, now you have my attention. So. <laughs> Alex, you you came up with the idea. You you've mentioned both in the blurb and just now. You said that you were sort of troubled by the by sex education in America. Tell us what was troubling or what is troubling. Yeah, I, I would say that sex education in America, it's called sex education, but it's really more anti-pregnancy, anti-disease education, right? It's not really about all the questions that people actually have when, when they're discovering their sexuality. How do I make it feel good for myself and my partner? How do I make sure that things go, this goes well? You know, you know I, I think many people uh, now, especially with the internet, people understand pregnancy, they understand disease. Uh, but what they don't understand is how do I deal with this, all these complex uh, interpersonal relationships that they have to now deal with and manage and how do they make it good for everyone? And it's scary when you come from a culture uh, that, that doesn't really want to talk about these things from a very, very early age, even when it's just naming body parts, right? Naming genitalia. Most parents kind of don't they gloss over that. You know, they'll talk about their eyes, the nose, the elbow, the knees, and then they just skip over huge part of the body that that and and you learn very early on that this is something we don't talk about and i think those kind of 
uh, problems compound into, into when you, you actually are sexually active, then you, you have no idea what you're doing. You're fumbling in the dark and often just scared of your own sexuality because uh, no one's ever helped you process that. Uh, Leo, what drew you to the project? Well, I mean, first was getting to work with Alex, uh, who's a, a great friend and also just such a, I think he's such a marvelous interviewer and um, was approaching the subject from a, you know, if you think about the state of sex education, it could be a very serious, very depressing topic. But um, I think Alex has a marvelous sense of humor and our, our sensibilities align. So it was a great opportunity to uh, work on something that could be very depressing and make it kind of uh, approachable, embracing the awkward, um, kind of really leaning into the, uh, the the sore spots and making light of it all just in the hopes of engaging an audience, which hopefully everyone watches it and feels engaged. Yeah, I think that definitely, I think, you know, I, before Leo came on, this project was much more of like a documentary, which I think it can be scary for people. It feels like watching homework. And Leo was great to actually make a movie, right? make a film, make a story, make something that actually, hopefully people are entertained by first rather than just, it's just straight education. Yeah. The poster alone uh, for, the, for, the, for the film is, it, it basically tells the whole story of what this project is about. <laughs> uh, it basically, it's, it's you, Alex, completely naked, uh, sitting on a pilot box. <laughs> Uh, and it's it's straight up. Uh, and I was in. I was like, yeah, that's good. It kind of reminded me of the uh, the Liam Neeson film Kinsey way back in the day. Where oh yeah, the, love uh, that film. Yeah, exactly. It, and it, I, I kind of dive into the same sort of um, issue that you encountered, where you talked about the fact you mentioned that it's awkward. Um, so, as someone who's dived into research, um, you've professionally dived into the research <laughs> as opposed to me who does it on my spare time. Uh, what, why is it an awkward subject to talk about? What, what makes sex an awkward subject to talk about? Yeah, I don't think it is necessarily inherently uh, awkward. I, I think it's something that's, you know, you know if, if in a different world, in a different universe, it could be beautiful, it can be a great way to learn about other people, to connect with people in your life, your loved ones. Um, but I think for a, a lot of different reasons uh, that, that we probably don't have time to get into, um, it, it's been something that has had to be controlled very tightly in order for a civilization to flourish, right? Uh, whether that's religion, you know, large governments, whatever it is. Uh, so, so there's never really been a, a push, I think, to talk openly and honestly about these things in a way that, that we actually need to in order to feel whole and healthy. Um, so, so uh, things are changing quickly, though, I would say, uh, even when we first started the film to now, um, I think a lot of people are realizing that this is something that, that we lose out on if we don't talk about. So there's a huge push now, I think, and especially the Gen Z that to, to actually talk about these things in a way that are non-judgmental and, and maybe not positive, but neutral at the very least. I'll come back to the, uh, the generational differences, Gen Z, millennials, et cetera, in just a second. I do want to ask one question and then I'll, I'll come back to that. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. Uh, and uh, Leo, if I understood uh, what Alex said earlier, you were essentially the filmmaker. Did you write sort of the structure of this documentary for Alex to then work through it? Alex, how did that working partnership uh, occur? We definitely did that together. So, and and it, Alex was definitely steering the ship. Um, I, I was just brought in for the, uh, the 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 polish and the you know to not that I have polish. I mean to help polish. <laughs> oh no no no! I, I think I think if 
if there's a joke you like, if there's a storyline you like, uh, chances are Leo had a huge hand in crafting that for sure. Uh, but uh, in terms of the working relationship, is that what you're asking yes. about? Yeah, yes, exactly. I mean, it took a lot of uh, trust and a lot of vulnerability. While, while what you see on, on on screen, we do kind of go over some very um, intimate, uh, very personal stories. And that behind the scenes, you know, took a lot of bravery um, on Alex's behalf to um, be that open, be that vulnerable. But then, you know, it, we... Uh, uh, just as in uh, the sex itself, uh, getting to explore it with a friend, uh, first and foremost, you know, it involved a lot of trust and it ended up being a very playful, um, a playful endeavor that, that also, you know, it's, to, to make an entire film is a very challenging uh, a feat. Um, so having someone to um, kind of walk through like over, you know, roasting coals, burning your feet and kind of making light of it is, is it was really fun to have someone like Alex as a partner to kind of land this crazy yeah. plane home. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we talk about like my, you know, my coming out process, early masturbatory fantasies, all these different things that most people probably, I was definitely scared to, to reveal, but with someone like Leo, who, who was just a great partner in, in, in getting me to understand and getting me to a position where I'd be okay, you know, talking about what it was like for me, you know, when I started understanding sexuality to now telling that story and doing it in a fun, funny way uh, it, it is something I'll treasure for the rest of my life. And as, as somebody myself who has absolutely no filters when I, well, I have <laughs> very few filters when I talk, there, there is no topic I, I, hold, um, I, I hold too sacred to talk about. Uh, but obviously, I know I'm I'm, I'm an, an anomaly in that regard. <laughs> um, but you doing this research into a topic that, uh, by your own description, people find awkward. People, you know, due to whatever culture, religion, etc., they sort of, you know, hide away from it. Maybe shame, etc. What did you find? What sort of stories did you find most uh, surprising that came to you when you did the research for this project? Um, you know, I, we, we spoke with a uh, Republican uh, conservative senator in Utah, and we spoke with a Jesuit priest uh, out in the Bay Area. Um, most of that was just to get that other perspective. You know, the, the, the two forces that I think are, are sex negative and have caused a lot of pain for a lot of different people when it comes to sexuality. Uh, but those conversations uh, ended up being so enlightening and so uh kind of changed my worldview about how you talk to people about these things that people are are not monoliths they have very nuanced uh you know sometimes surprising views about these things and having more of those conversations with people who are outside of your bubble can actually help you process a lot of things and, and that was just a huge surprise to, in filming the movie from what you're saying i'm looking forward very much to actually seeing your, your movie but do you think that sex education policy is mostly driven by the the many religious groups that have the air of those people setting the agenda? For the most part, yes, at least in the United States. I'm not sure what it's like in the UK. Uh, I would assume it's a little better, but, but in the US, you know. Not really. Um, it, it, okay. <laughs> it, it's, it's right, it, it's a political question, right? So it's elected officials having to make these decisions. And it's so easy to demonize someone if they're talking about like, we need kids to understand masturbation is okay, oral sex is okay, anal sex are okay. You know, acts that happen all the time, happening right this second, and people are enjoying it and living happy, fulfilled lives, uh, better lives probably because of those acts. Um, but the second you, you bring those in to talk about it with, quote unquote, you know, innocent youth, 
uh, it's very easy to demonize in a political campaign. And no, no school board official wants to take that risk. You know, it, it, it's not worth the risk. Um, and, and rather, and, and I, it's been such a, such a depressing kind of uh, reality that, that making this movie was kind of an outlet to try to, to exercise those demons, knowing that politically it's still a hot potato. Uh, and now, uh, I want to come back to that uh, genera generational question that I parked aside. Obviously, comparing uh, uh, our parents, you know, I, I believe I, I'm just taking a stab here. We're millennials. Using mm -hmm. myself, so mm -hmm. We're a millennial group. I hate using that term, but I'll just use it as, a, <laughs> as an example. Um, so we know, obviously, if we were to look at people who were born and raised in the 50s, they had uh, different attitudes towards sex, especially talking about it out loud, uh, talk about people who were born in the 70s, 80s, etc. Now, millennials that were born from the 80s and grew up in the 90s and so on, compared to Generation Z or whichever, whatever the new generation is, what did you find as being different from the millennial perspective compared to Gen Z? And I, I So we actually did, and you'll see we go to a sex ed course, uh, which was like 15 to 18 year olds. Um, and, and they just have a fluency around this stuff that I, you know, it was the first time I ever felt old when it came to my language, you know, I kind of how I probably when, when I hear older generations call like colored people or, you know, these, these outdated terms, that's kind of how I felt in these classes, you know, just, just they're, they're not stuck to any binaries. They're everything and everyone, they're pansexual, they're gender fluid, all these different things. And, 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 and they have a comfort with this. Uh, that that is that is that is promising. That 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 gives me hope. That they, they they the class is not taught in schools though. They had to seek this out themselves. So it's kind of a self-selecting you know uh, group of Gen Gen Zers. But but um, they're they're asking the right questions at a, at an earlier age than I would even even thought to ask these questions. So so it's it's been a, a great way to see that 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 the younger generations are really moving us forward. Excellent. Uh, you're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we have the filmmakers behind Asexplanation, which is a documentary uh, which is being aired at the Paris International Film Festival from the 10th uh, of February to the 20th. Uh, Leo, you as you one of the writers. Uh, Alex, I'm not going to ask you this question. I want to ask this question at Leo because you did the research. You went in, as Leo hinted at earlier, you put yourself through that. Leo, what changed in you, in your attitudes towards sex, from working on this project? Oh man, <laughs> how do I count the ways? Um, I, I do feel like I, uh, you know, coming up in the, the Bay Area and going to a very liberal university, I do feel like I've always been fairly sex positive. Um, and I think I've maybe discovered there's some faults that could come along with being overly sex positive. So, so I know that that's usually like, I feel like that's a big rallying cry these days to be more open and more, you know, inclusive and to be sex positive. And that is all well and good, but trying to um, take a second to pause and consider if there's any negativities or any other uh, um, pitfalls that sex positivity could have. So I think being more neutral um, and being open to, uh, uh, especially when you're having com open conversations or you're trying to, um, get to know someone a little bit more intimately to just uh, approach life and approach people in a more neutral way that's like not pushing them one way or another, but just accept, accepting them as they are. I think it's actually been a, a pretty big paradigm shift for me in terms of um, how I have those kinds of relationships with people. So, 
So uh, being a little bit more clear eyed um, and trying to just accept people as they are. I'm, I'm very, like I said earlier, I'm very much looking forward to watching this documentary. It's already crushing it in, the, in its festival run. You've got about eight different wins uh, for best documentary in various festivals at the moment. Uh, we do really hope that the uh, success continues. Uh, Alex, uh, the fact that you've done this research, has this research sort of left further ground for you to explore in the same area? Or are you thinking, okay, my next project, I'm going to switch tasks, or switch, switch tracks? I, I think I'm open to all of that. You know, I, there's a lot of things we couldn't cover in this film simply because they would require their own films in, in and of themselves to do properly, like queer issues, kink issues, trans issues. Um, so that's something that I'm interested in. But then also kind of alluding to speaking with the priest, speaking with the conservative senator. You know, I, I am also interested in how we have these difficult conversations, conversations we, I think we really need right now because we're getting further and further polarized and tribalized. Um, but yeah, I, I think I think the more in my work, kind of the underlying ways, how can I tell entertaining humorous stories to get you to think a little more critically about your own morality, about your how do you live a healthy life in all arenas is something that that kind of is will be my kind of push going forward. Fantastic. I've just having spoken to you and seeing some of the details about the film. Again, I haven't watched it, but in my head, I'm already sort of seeing it around the same kind of uh, same kind of lines as Super Size Me um, and Catfish. And I hope it has the same sort of levels of success and goes from there. And, you know, we definitely want to get you guys back on the show, do a longer conversation, even if it's just talking about sex. I know Bruce Dave is not going to want that. But it's <laughs> no, 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 that's fine by me. I actually want to know what answers were given by some of these people who sort of like have a downer on the way that sex education is presented yeah, if you watch the film, you'll, you'll find out you know, very quickly, you know, uh, what, what's wrong with education, what's the answer. After we watch it, what we're going to do is we'll have you guys back on and we're going to ask what didn't make the cut. Um, so what's scandalous? <laughs> That'd be great. And then we'll talk about that. Uh, Alex, Leo, thank you very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. Uh, we wish you all the success and we want to get you back as quickly as we can. Thank you for having us. Thanks for having us. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. Now, today, as part of Paris International Film Festival, we're going to be speaking to, well, I'll let you introduce yourself. Please tell us what your name is and what is your film that you're going to be presenting at the Paris International Film Festival. Uh, my name is Thomas Ash, and I directed a documentary film called Ushku, which is about asylum seekers and refugees uh, to Japan who are being held in long-term immigration detention. Okay, Thomas, thank you very much for joining us. And we're looking forward to seeing your documentary. Now, tell us a little bit more about the documentary. It's about refugees held in Japan, but what's so special about the film? What's so special? Gosh, it's um, it's a story that's not really being told very much, certainly not outside of Japan, but even within Japan. Um, there are not, you know, un until recently, there have not been, um, there has not been that much attention to the issue. Um, you know, in some ways, I, I guess in, in some ways it's not special. And, and this is a story that we've heard um, in, in lots of countries. And Japan is certainly not not the only or even the most famous country that's dealing with issues of uh, regarding uh, how it's treating Im immigrants and, and refugees and asylum seekers. Um, but it's, it's, it's a story that, that we think is, is really unique to Japan, certainly in the way that 
you know, I, I think perhaps in, in the way that in, in the, the irony between how people perceive Japan as a place of, of, of hospitality and, and the reality for many, for many detention, um, detention centers uh, that are here. So how did you make the film? Well, there's, there's a media blackout um, regarding uh, th these issues and, and particularly the, the detention centers. And um, there was no filming or recording allowed in the, in the centers. Um, and yet when I first started visiting them, I, I, I felt that as a witness to what I felt were human rights abuses, uh, that it was important to record, um, to record in evidence. Um, my, my initial intention was not to make a film, um, but it was rather, um, I believe that the lives of some of the men that I was visiting were in danger. Um, and I was afraid that someone might die. And so I felt called to record what I was seeing. And so I, I brought in some equipment into the detention facility and I filmed there for several months. So uh, you managed to get your, your cameras in, your recording equipment in without the security finding out and um, you, you put together how much time how long was the um, initial cut let's put it that way well i mean the initial cut was um you know i mean i don't know if you're a filmmaker but i mean the, the initial cut was you know the, the the assembly was was i think close to six hours um but i mean that was edited down from the footage that i was um that i was able to to record and um how much I was actually able to record is actually a question that I don't answer because um, I myself am a foreign person in Japan and and so I, I don't want to give any more, how can I say, information uh, to the authorities than I need to. Um, but the film, is a, it's a feature-length documentary. It's uh, 87 minutes long. Um, at the time, we couldn't have imagined, um, this was before the pandemic that I began um, filming and we couldn't have imagined that there would be any any big changes and yet as a result of the pandemic um, many of the people were released from detention uh, so the first half of the film is what was happening in detention and then the second half of the film is is what happens um, when they come out are you still living in japan at the moment i am joining you from tokyo yeah so has the uh, film been on a run of other festivals previously to this one yeah, it's we've we're we're in the middle of our, um, you know, on the festival circuit right now. Mm -hmm. the The world premiere was um, was last year in May, um, and you know it was very difficult for us to find a distributor who would be willing to take the film on and to tell this story. Um, and you know, we we did find a distributor that was willing to work with us, but they had a hard time finding a cinema that would that you know cinemas that would take the film. And last autumn, we did confirm, we did receive confirmation that that there was a cinema that would take the film on, and we sort of just really um, trusted the distributor to to work with the cinemas and and to, to really just just educate them about the importance of the story. And we are having our um, nationwide release in cinemas across Japan, and um, we open in cinemas here on February twenty sixth. Um, and so we're really excited and you know I, we did something called reverse importing which was um, to show the film abroad we hoped that festivals would take the film of course we we would we hoped that it would be awarded not because we want awards but because we wanted the the the, the stories of, of these really brave um, men and women who who really have risked so much to speak out um, we wanted that to be recognized and Japan is is susceptible to foreign pressure 
And so we hope that this sort of getting the film recognized abroad and being in festivals like the Paris International Film Festival would show the Japanese public that this was an important story that needed to be told. And it worked. And we were able to bring the film, you know, a Japanese film that was made in Japan. We were able to bring it back to Japan and it will be in cinemas next month. So obviously the Japanese authorities are aware of this film. Has there been any reaction from them so far? I mean, I know I'm straying from the topic of the film itself, but this is all important because um, it's such an interesting topic. So has there been any reaction from the authorities so far? Well, I think it is a really important question and and, um, and, I, and I understand and appreciate the question too. I always like to try to keep the focus on the stories of the men and women who, who are speaking out. Um, I can tell you, um, that you know they are aware of the film um, and there has not been any official uh, reaction to the film. Now, as, as we start releasing our media campaign um, regarding the, the screenings of the film, we shall see if, you know, if they have anything to say. I have to be honest, my guess is, is that they probably will not. Um, if they were to come out and make a statement about the film or do anything sort of crazy, like, you know, whatever they might be doing, you know, it would, it would probably just create more PR for the film. So actually, if they want to come out and say something or do something, I, I would welcome that because it's probably would give us more PR than I could afford. Right. Okay. Turning back to the film, um, you, you said earlier that as a result of the pandemic, they released some of the people that were, that were being held. Have you um, been in contact with any of them since that happened? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I mean, I, I mean. So in in the film, we feature nine 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 participants, and I'm in in contact with all of them. Um, but the people that I met inside, you know, I was I was going there as a volunteer. Um, I met over a hundred people. I only filmed with nine of them, the nine who are in the film. Mm-hmm. Um, but I met, you know, like, like I said, a hundred people, um, and we're in contact with a lot of them. And and the work that I do to support them um, in, in the small ways that I can continues. And just being released from detention, you know, it sounds in, in some way like it's a like it's a good thing, um, except that really they are, um, you know, they, they describe it themselves as being a prison without walls, and they continue to be in prison, although they appear to be free. And what I mean by that is, is that they, they do not have working permission, they do not have health insurance, they don't often have stable housing, um, and, and so they are really in a very precarious position in the middle of a pandemic. When you were in there, I mean, you spoke to these nine particular people, but you also spoke to other people as well. You said you interviewed quite a lot of people there, up to 100 as well. What were the common reasons for them being held inside? The reason that's, that they're being held is arbitrary. There's no, there's no reason why they're being held. They're not... Um, you know, there's there's no there's no reason why they're being held. If if your question is is more about why they came to Japan as refugees or what their what their you know what their claims for asylum are about, it's it's sort of all you know. There are, are different reasons depending on what on what countries they're coming from, um, but there's no real there's no it's it's completely arbitrary about who gets released on provisional release and who and who is kept inside, and even when they are granted a provisional release, um, they will um, arb- arbitrarily um, and suddenly be be redetained for no reason. What got you interested in um, actually visiting the refugee centers in the first place? I I went with uh, my church group. I, I was a volunteer, um, and I went to go and and to spend time with people who were in detention, and to offer them, you know, some small some small items that whatever we could whatever they needed as far as daily necessities. But but really, our our whole point was um, was really to give them 
our time and, and to sort of be with them and to let them know that they had not been forgotten and that people were thinking about them and praying for them. So you're offering them hope and comfort as a, as a result of your visit. Yeah, that, 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 that's our hope, certainly. And, you know, and so I did not go there to make a film. I, I am a filmmaker, um, mm-hmm. but that was not the reason why I went. And it was, you know, the, the making of the film was something that, that came much, much, much later. My, my aim was, was not that at all, at all. I was just a volunteer. Excellent. Thank you very, much, very, very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze and talking about your film. I mean, I know I didn't focus too much on the film, but I'm, I want to try and leave as much as possible for people to discover during the, the course of the festival, uh, which takes place from February the 10th to the 20th this year. And then the film is going to be released in Japan on the 26th, which is six days after the, the festival ends. So it's going to be shown in the Paris Film Festival and then released in Japan, yes? Yes, that's right. Yeah, thank Excellent. you very much for that for the opportunity, and we hope uh, we hope to be able to share these these stories with 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 your audience. Thanks so much. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance One Hundred Four Point Four FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm here with one of the filmmakers whose film is in the Paris International Film Festival. Please tell us your name and the name of the film that you have in the festival. My name is Holly Tuckett, and I'm the director of Point, a documentary about women in wildland fire. Uh, we follow two women through their 2019 season as they take on the culture of uh, patriarchy and misogyny of the of the fire service uh, tends to be not a very kind place for women and for other kinds of marginalized folks. Yeah, so what influenced you to chase this as a documentary topic? Um, I was introduced to a firefighter through a student that I mentor. um, And she, you know, the firefighter had said to my student, uh, hey, I want you to do this documentary, and she was like, I'm just a student, I don't, I don't think this is a little over my head, um, so she referred her to me, and uh, we started talking, and she started explaining to me uh, what what the, what the culture of fire is like for women, um, just the discrimination and harassment that they uh, encounter, and um, many of them end up, you know, staying for a season or two of wildland firefighting and then they leave because they just don't feel welcome and um we we started to really have conversations and who basically love what they do and um you know they they decided that you know to turn the culture on its head in training scenarios so Typically, there are 10% uh, women on the fire service here in the United States and 90% men. And even that number, I think, is a little skewed because that includes ancillary positions and not people who directly engage with fire. Um, And what they decided to do was hold a training where they flip-flop that number. And at the training event, they have 90% women and they invite men, and sometimes they, they get enough men to kind of equate that 10%, um, basically to show men how 
women are capable and to also give women better opportunities for training to level up their skills, to uh, increase the leadership, uh, you know, to make it a little bit more equitable within the fire service. And so our film kind of takes you into that world and allows you through these two characters' eyes to kind of see what it's like to be a female firefighter. So what kind of pushback did you get in making this documentary? Um, you know, it's been interesting, Marcus. We actually didn't get a whole lot of pushback, um, partially because I didn't ask for permission. <laughs> <laughs> of course. I, I begged for forgiveness afterwards. Um, and, you know, the women basically were very reticent at first to talk with me. Um, they don't want to be seen as victims. They, they just want to be seen as capable people who do their job and that there are barriers to them being able to do that, that, um, they have to overcome on top of doing the dangerous work of fire. And so once I kind of gained their trust that I was going to, to not necessarily look at all of the harmful things that happened to them, that, that we were going to, yes, talk about those things, but we were also going to, you know, highlight why they do the work that they do and how they do it and, and why it's important to them. And that got them to buy in. The men that were in the film that were at the training were very supportive and um, you know, we just decided that it, for us, it wasn't important for us to go find the naysayers, okay. the men who don't want them there, because we all know they exist, and I didn't want to give them a platform. And the wonderful thing of it is, is that by not asking for permission from some of the organizations that are in the fire service, They've heard about the film because we've been on the festival circuit for the last year and everything has been virtual. So firefighters that normally wouldn't have the funds or the time to go and attend a film festival to see a film like this have been able to access it online. Of course. And what has happened is the U.S. Forest Service has come aboard and has uh, – asked us to do a screening for their upper management. And then we just recently secured educational distribution license with them to be able to use it as a training tool for, for their um, teams so that they can start to not necessarily, this film doesn't solve the problem. Mm -hmm. I think it is a, a starting point for engaging in helpful conversations to start to really change those perceptions of how women work in a field like wildland firefighting. So with this documentary being about uh, firefighting and uh, women on, on, the, on the force, I guess, um, did you, did you ha get any opportunities uh, to film uh, some of your protagonists actually in, you know, in a firefight, trying to stop, you know, that's firefight, but fighting fires. Did you get any opportunities to actually film your protagonist doing that? 
So it was really difficult for us to, as a film crew, get on an active wildfire. Sure. So how we kind of overcame that that barrier is we went to the trainings, which allowed us to be a part of, of what they call prescribed fire, which is basically they do training and treat it like a wildfire incident, but the fire is very controlled and they have you know, parameters about where they're burning and how much land they're burning. And they, you know, they follow specific guidelines. And so that allowed us to film with them in a safe manner. Then the other way I got around it and got, was able to get my firefighters actively doing is I sent one of my firefighters out for the season with GoPros. And she basically filmed herself out, you know, in in various places around the country, uh, fighting fire and doing the things that firefighters do, which necessarily isn't always fighting fire. Of course, you get you have that. Uh, I guess it's a it's a little jibe. Uh, usually, what you see in TV is police officers uh, making fun of firefighters rescuing kittens from trees and and whatnot. Correct. So uh, <laughs> it, it that sounds it sounds awesome. It sounds like a great. Uh, a piece of documentary I'd love to watch. Uh, the title Anchor Point. Um, what's the what's the influence, the, the thinking behind that? So in wildland firefighting, an anchor point is basically a place that the firefighters create or that the land around them creates that gives them a safe place to engage with fire. And what these women are trying to do is create a safe place for them to be able to engage their cohorts in creating a better fire service, a better fire culture. And so to me, Anchor Point kind of mirrors those two things, as well as throughout the movie, you'll hear one of our main characters, Kelly, talk about um, being anchored and things in her life that she encounters that keep her anchored. And so to me, that's kind of like the, all the metaphors in there that, that really made it very clear to me that that's what the name of this film should be. Excellent. That's fantastic. Sounds like an, uh, like an amazing uh, action-packed documentary that you've got with Anchor Point. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus Iaco, and I've been speaking with Holly Tuckett, who her documentary Anchor Point is showing at the Paris International Film Festival from the 10th of February to the 20th of February. Holly, thank, thank you very much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk to me about uh, your project. Uh, we wish you all the best success in this festival as well as others. We hope m many more people get to see Anchor Point and get to get the message that you're trying to tell. Thank you so much, Marcus, for having me on. I really appreciate it. And I hope to to hear lots of good things from your festival goers as we, as we go through that week. Hello and welcome to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. We have another interview today with another uh, participant, uh, another filmmakers from the Paris International Film Festival. I'm going to ask you to introduce yourselves and tell us what your film is all about. Starting with you, Lydia. Hello, my name is Lydia. Uh, uh, we are presenting the film Anima, 
from Russia. And I'm the director and screenplay writer and the producer of the film here with my team. And here is my team, uh, Ksenia, you can start. This is my DOP. Uh, yes, I'm DOP <laughs> of uh, Animal. And your name? Uh, uh, my name is Ksenia. Hello, Senia. And no, who else have we got there? Yeah, uh, I'm a sound uh, engineer of the film. Yeah, I uh, uh, almost do all work for sound in the film. Welcome, Andre. And lastly is Anna. Yes. Hello. Hello. My name is Anna and uh, I'm production designer of this film, our beautiful film, Anima. Happy to see you. And Happy to see you as well. Yeah, my team. I'll go to you, Lydia. Uh, what is Anima all about? Tell us about your film. This film is about, uh, actually, this is a story about the uh, conductor. Yes, female conductor who is uh, who has lost uh, her way in her life, and she left to live alone to the seaside in the north of Russia. And uh, this is this film is about getting back to your root. Yes, to find your inner voice again. And uh, there is a, a, another character, the choir girl from her choir who comes to save her, to come to, to bring her back to reality, let's say, to her destiny. Okay, so I'm assuming that you shot this all in Russia. Tell me more about how the film was made. Uh, yes, uh, our team is uh, mostly Russian. Mm. And uh, <laughs> it was a funny story because it's uh, like, you know, it's a feature film, but uh, we made it very quickly. I mean, the shooting was just four days and um, but it was a quite long pre-production and post-production was very very long period and yes uh, as, as I told uh, Andre is uh, the main person who did almost all the sound for the film alone and this is quite impressive because you know usually it's a huge team working on the sound of the film and the, the post-production was almost half a year all the work with the sound because we had a lot of musicians and maybe Andre can tell some words about post-production. Uh, yeah, uh, but I yeah, but I can tell only about uh, sound. Yeah, so um, I um, um, we have uh, rewrite or dialogues or sound effects uh, fully uh, from scratch uh, uh, in film. All uh, all what sounds it was uh, uh, recorded or. Um, um, or make uh, uh, special for film. Uh, we don't use uh, some sound libraries. We don't use some uh, Foley sound libraries. So it's uh, all made uh, special uh, for the film. And also um, we have worked with uh, one of the most, um, one of the most uh, experienced uh, uh, Foley recordist in uh, Russia on uh, land film. Uh, on our uh, and in St. Petersburg is uh, the biggest place for for making sound uh, uh, for for films. Sina, you you're the uh, DOP for this film. What challenges did you face making a film in only four days? Uh, 
Поэтому... А вот спросил, в, чем, в чем заключались трудности, связанные с тем, что мы за четыре дня снимали? А. Тогда никаких трудностей, все было на одном дыхании, все было прекрасно, мало сна, много работы, я это люблю. So just all it was was lack of um, sleep, maybe because of the four day four day time sh uh, span. Uh, that's what Ksenia says. Okay, I just wanted to summarize. But uh, I think you know, time has passed. Maybe maybe time you know has passed, and it decorates something in our memory <laughs> and makes everything look you know easier. And Anna, coming to you, how did you find the four day shoot in your role? Uh, so we prepared uh, uh, to make a short movie, and uh, I didn't know the, we did the work, uh, like we put all energy as usually for this. It was like a flow. We, we meet together with uh, Ksenia, Lilia, and uh, start to, uh, looking for locations, start to find some interesting thing. And, For me, it not was difficult. It was uh, like a flow. You know, when you take a flow, when you get a flow, you do this. Yeah. Maybe after that, uh, I was uh, sleeping a lot after. <laughs> <laughs> But before, it was uh, interesting. Lilia, how did you find putting together the film? Um, you said it took a long time in post-production. How did you find putting the, together the film considering it was only four days just to shoot how was that process it was extremely stressful and difficult because uh huge like we had the main uh, sound engineer like sound director andre but we had a huge because the, the film is about music actually and music plays the main role there and we had a lot of musicians taking part and all of them came in post-production period And we had to find them, you know, a lot of choir singers and composers, many composers, and which are one of the strongest uh, modern composers we have in, in Russia. They worked uh, with us. So it was uh, not, you know, easy uh, to attract people to the film uh, without budget also, you know, and to, to invite people who are with huge experience, like uh, they're not amateurs, not students, Uh, high professional uh, musicians, for example. Yes, it was very, quite a big challenge. But it was also, you know, a big passion because it's a risk. Were the musicians not, un, they're not seen on the film then? No, they're not in the film. It's uh, quite a difficult and comp complex uh, sound design with many instruments, many voices, many people. Is this the first film festival that Anima has been entered into? Uh, no, it's not the first. The first was in August in 2021. And we had quite a, quite a few in different countries, in, in, in Russia, in Italy, in Spain, in Egypt. Excellent. I'm looking forward to seeing your film because I haven't actually seen it yet. I'm looking very much forward to seeing your film and hearing the sound design. What is your social media handle so that we can let our, our listeners know Uh, to keep up with your progress and the film itself. 
Uh, just Facebook, Facebook and, and Instagram. Yes, we don't have the page of the film itself or, or everything, all the news uh, I upload on my own page. So it's Anima on Facebook? Is that how no, they find it's you? On, no, it's, unfortunately, we don't have the page of Anima. I upload all the news on my own personal page and yes, in, on Facebook and Instagram. Anna, oh, Lilia, Andre, and Sina, thank you very much for joining me on Shoot the Breeze. Look forward to seeing your film very shortly at the Paris International Film Festival, which is running from the 10th to the 20th of February this year. Look forward to seeing you then. Thank you so much. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And we are here with a few more filmmakers from the Paris International Film Festival here to tell us about their film. Let us start with the director who's going to tell us about the name of the film and introduce the uh, lead actor in the film. So I'll hand over to the director. Hey, I'm Martin. Uh, great being here. I'm the writer and director of the feature film A Beautiful Curse. And uh, together with me is the amazing Mark Strippen, who is our lead actor playing Samuel in the, in the film. Welcome, Martin. Welcome, Mark. Uh, so let me throw to Martin first. Martin, tell us what A Beautiful Curse is all about. Well, A Beautiful, a beautiful Curse is a sort of modern day fairy tale. It's a story taking place on an island where everyone is falling in a very, very deep sleep. And the authorities has sealed off the entire place while they try to figure out what's going on here. Uh, and uh, Samuel, a photographer, is sneaking into this island to, to document uh, this bizarre uh, phenomenon. And uh, in a house, she finds the sleeping Stella, which she finds very interesting. And he soon discovers that this sleeping phenomenon is much more personal than uh, first expected. So you said fantasy, is that sort of like doing a modern day retelling of Sleeping Beauty? Is that, if I were to just make an assumption, that that's kind of an angle, you're taking a different approach to the fairy tale Sleeping Beauty? Well, you can say, you know, you can call it sci-fi, you can call it drama, you can call it a love story. Uh, but we also like, because there's references for, yeah, like the fairy tale you mentioned there. So, so we also like to, to invent our own genre in some way and call it a, a modern day fairy tale in some way. Fantastic. Uh, so Mark, let me jump to you. Uh, you play Samuel, the lead character. When you were pitched the idea for uh, A Beautiful Curse, what was the first thing that came to your mind about the story? And why did that inspire you to say, yes, this is something I want to take up? Well, it was incredibly visual when you got the script. It's incredibly image-based and Martin likes to work with these ambiguous images. So there's some things are suggestive and have implications. And that means for an audience, you can draw many things. And I suppose you want to be involved in telling stories that have a heart, that are exploring these big themes of what is love that we all find mysterious, but also allows for interpretation. So there was some exploration in this. Like when we got to set every day, it was very much a feeling of let's see what we can get today. What What's the island giving us and what can we find? So that makes it an incredibly attractive project. And I hope it, that result means you create a film that is for the audience. Excellent. You're listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I'm Marcus E. Ako. And I'm producer Dave. And uh, we're speaking with uh, Martin and Mark 
uh, the uh, the filmmakers behind the writer director is Martin and the uh, lead actor is Mark Strepan from the film A Beautiful Curse. Martin, I want to jump back to you. You wrote and directed this film. For other people who are looking to come and see this film and are interested in what type of film influences they can, you know, you can say, oh, I like this film, so film comparisons. What sort of films would I personally be interested in that could draw me to come and watch A Beautiful Curse? Well, uh, that's, a, that's a really good question. Of course, if you're into uh, sci-fi, thriller, drama, uh, romance, vibes, uh, you know, uh, this could be a, a film for you. Uh, it's also a film which is in some way very poetic. It's also a, a, a sort of mood piece. There isn't much dialogue in the film. Uh, the, the pace is slower than you usually see in, in films uh, these days. And we are really thrilled that the, the film has been such a, a big success to, to a lot of uh, festivals all over the world. Mark, um, I noticed that you uh, won an Best Actor Award, as well as Martin. You've racked up several awards during the festival run. How uh, long is the festival run going to go for before people are able to see it in the cinema? Well, uh, first of all, right now, uh, there isn't set a release date uh, for the film to premiere on streaming and, uh, and cinemas yet. But the film will be on festivals uh, till the fall of uh, yeah, this fall. How do you feel having won all those awards? We are, of course, everyone extremely happy and totally blown away uh, for being, you know, on so many amazing festivals and also winning quite a few awards till now. So we are just very, very happy. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Um, yeah, it's always lovely to have some, some form of recognition of your work that it had some form, some of potency or something like that. So that's always um, great. Um, I want, Martin, I want to throw this question to you. So uh, with regards to this particular film now going on and doing this festival run, what other projects are you working on post Beautiful Curse? Right now I'm uh, writing on both a feature and a TV drama series, uh, which are yeah two projects I have in, uh, in development uh, here in Denmark. One of them uh, a local project and another one an international project. Fantastic. And Mark, how about yourself? What do you move, what do you, uh, what have you got lined up for you after Beautiful Curse? So I've I've just completed filming um, Neil Marshall's latest movie, who did Dog Soldiers and Hellboy, and he's gone back to his sort of roots. So um, I'm playing an American soldier in the last troops in Afghanistan, leaving the country, and then things go wrong. So uh, finish that. That's in post. Is this film anyway similar to Dog Soldiers, which was a personal favourite okay. of mine? No, it's quite different. Well, in terms of that, Martin and Neil are both incredible artists and filmmakers. Yes, like they know what they want and they know what they're creating, but uh, different genres, different styles. Yeah, I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Neil Marshall. I've loved uh, pretty much all of the movies that he's been working on. Neil Marshall is a personal favorite of mine. So mm. looking forward to watching that. Thank you, Martin. Thank you, Mark, very much for joining us on Shoot the Breeze. We wish you all the best with A Beautiful Curse on its festival run. Thanks for having Thank us. And, and there you have it. Some of the filmmakers whose films are going to be running in the Paris International Film Festival, which is going from the 10th to the 20th of February, 2022. Uh, hosted and uh, directed by, the film festival is directed by our good friend, Jenna Suru. Give her all the love. Go check out the film festival. Check out all the wonderful films that are going to be there and see all the emerging filmmakers who will most likely become household names 
in the next few years. I uh, wanted to say thank you all very much for having sat down and listened to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I want to thank Resonance FM for giving us the opportunity to keep on doing this show over and over again. You have been listening to Shoot the Breeze on Resonance 104.4 FM. I have been Marcus E. Ako. I'm still producer Dave. Dan, thank you very much for listening. Speak to you all next time. Goodbye. Bye.